On this episode of Blue 58, despite a lackluster day at the office from Aaron Rodgers, the Packers managed to handle the Buffalo Bills, posting their first shutout in almost a decade. Let's hear it for defense. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to episode 109 of Blue 58. Another win for the Packers. Can you believe it? It's almost a month since the last time the Packers won a football game. We had the week one win over the Bears, the week two whatever, the week three loss, and now here we are in week four with another win. Exciting to be here. Not super exciting for a couple reasons that we'll talk about. What happened Sunday? Well, first and foremost, the Packers did what they were supposed to do. Last I saw before the game, the Packers were 10.5 point favorites, and they showed why this week. They showed why on Sunday, and they played like they were 10.5 point favorites for the most part. And we'll get to exactly why maybe some of those areas were a little bit lacking here in a second. The defense, though, played great. They took Josh Allen apart. They did everything they were supposed to do to a rookie corner a quarterback. When you hear about defensive coordinators feasting on rookie quarterbacks, this is what they're talking about. Mike Pettin put Josh Allen in decisions to make bad or in situations to make bad decisions, and he followed through. He made several very bad decisions and a few other plays that could have been, you know, uh, equally bad to the series of bad plays that he did have. He finished the day 16 of 33 passing for just 151 yards and two interceptions, a 36.3 passer rating. If you throw all incomplete passes, you should have a passer rating of 39.6. Josh Allen was worse than throwing every ground or every pass directly into the ground. Finally, it has to be noted that uh, on offense, the Packers are not great on Sunday. Um, the They got away with a lot of things and did basically just enough to come away with 22 points on offense. Rodgers had a near pick six for the first time, another near interception on a deep shot to Adams, and uh, Ty Montgomery had a fumble that ultimately was recovered again by the Packers. So 22 to nothing does look pretty good. But keep in mind, there are some, I don't want to say extenuating factors, but this was more or less the expected outcome. Maybe not a shutout, maybe not a 22-point victory, but this is what we were hoping and expecting the Packers to do. So why did it happen? What got us to this point today? First and foremost, we have to again point out, the Bills are just not a very good football team. Last week, when they beat the Vikings... That was more an example that any team can beat any other team at a given point in the season if enough things go their way than an example of the overall quality of the Buffalo Bills. In week one, they got pasted by the Ravens. 47-3, to Nathan Peterman was Nathan Peterman. They just got you know, beat up one side and down the other. Not a great game. Well, you throw that one out and say, week two, how, how were they? Josh Allen gets his first start. Not so great. 18 of 33, 245 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. That TD came in garbage time. Just not really a great effort. The the Chargers took care of business there. Week three, they beat the Vikings. But remember, the Vikings were coming off an overtime game against the Packers, an opponent they are much more interested in than the Buffalo Bills. That was probably as much a letdown on the part of the Vikings than it was an out-and-out victory for the Buffalo Bills. And then you have this week, a 22 to nothing shutout loss. Allen goes 16 of 33, below 50%, two interceptions, probably could have had a couple more. Uh, LaShawn McCoy, just 24 yards rushing, just 13 yards receiving. They gave up seven sacks. Nobody made plays on offense or on defense when they had opportunities to do so. Last week, 
was the outlier for the Bills. This week was the Bills playing like their Buffalo Bills selves. This is what you should expect from the Bills. Maybe not 22 to nothing every week. Maybe not less than 50% completion percentage from Josh Allen. But this, this was the Buffalo Bills. Last week was not the Buffalo Bills. This was the Buffalo Bills, by and large. So, as good as it is that the Packers got the shutout win, this is not exactly a juggernaut team here. But that is not that does not mean the Packers' execution was not worth being excited about. And as we look especially at the defensive side of the ball, that is something worth feeling pretty good about, I think. This was the first time in the season to date that the Packers really played a a complete game. They were solid in the first half. They were solid in the second half. They made plays in the first half. They made plays in the second half. They took away the things that the Bills did well, getting the ball to LaShawn McCoy, getting the ball to Charles Clay, their tight end, and really again and again put Josh Allen in positions to make bad plays. The Packers forced six three-and-outs on Sunday, three in each half, and by the time the first half was over, it was really, you could see the writing was on the wall. This is just not going to be a game that the Bills were going to be competitive in. I think the real question, the, really the only question that existed after the first half was how much the final margin was going to be. Because it looked like this one could turn into a laugher. Now, thanks to the Packers offense not being super spectacular, it was probably a lot closer than it should have been. And 22 points is still not all that close. But the defense held up their end of the bargain, particularly Kyler Fackrell. And I know there's a lot of good reason to be not super thrilled with Kyler Fackrell, the player, though, you know, it's not his fault he was a third round pick, but he was probably the guy the Packers expected him to be a long time ago on Sunday, three sacks on Sunday. He, one of them is not really Kyler Fackrell's sack because Kenny Clark kind of knocked Josh Allen off balance and he kind of did this pirouette thing and tried to keep his balance and then fell over and then they charged the Bills with a sack and, and ended up going to Kyler Fackrell. But the other two seemed to be pretty good. Prior to this Sunday, Fackrell had just five sacks in his career. So he almost you know, was within spitting distance of doubling up his career total on Sunday. Jair Alexander, also a pretty decent game, although he had a couple issues as the game wore on, wore on a little bit and got a little bit more into it with, than, with Calvin Benjamin than you'd probably like to see. But all things considered, a pretty, pretty good game. Uh, as I was taking notes on the game, I wrote in the first quarter with 10 minutes and 58 seconds left that I believed that Alexander would get his first pick on Sunday. Just the way that Allen was throwing the ball, it seemed like there would be a time during the game when there would be an opportunity for a ball-savvy player to get a pick. Well, the very next drive, well, two drives later, excuse me, that's exactly what happened. Allen made the worst decision of the afternoon, rolling very far to his left and tried to heave it all the way back across the field into the end zone. It's probably one of the easier picks that Jair Alexander is ever going to get. That was that was number one, though, after one was taken away from him two weeks ago. Probably never going to let that go. Well, never is a bit of a strong word. It's going to be a while before we let that one go. But he has one in the books now, and it was a pretty easy one. But uh, they all look the same on the stat sheet. So good for Alexander there. But the more impressive pick on the afternoon was Haha Clinton Dix. Now three interceptions on the season, three in four games. The pick this week was as good and as decisive a play as 
I think we've ever seen out of HaHa Clinton Dix. He broke on the ball, broke hard on the ball, blew up Calvin Benjamin, and somehow came away with an interception all on the same play. It was just a great play from HaHa Clinton Dix, and the sort of play that has been all, all too rare in his career so far. That being said, it was a good play to see on Sunday. Again, the Bills are not very good. Josh Allen is probably in over his head. He probably shouldn't be playing right now, but the Packers did what they were supposed to do, and they played very well on defense. Not so much on offense, although we do have to point out that as bad as the Packers' offense was, they did just enough to really put this game out of reach, put it into a position where Josh Allen was going to have to do things that he and the Bills' offense were not capable of to get back into the game. If you want to get mad at anybody for this week's offensive performance, Aaron Rodgers is probably a good place to start. There are so many throws this week that were just not not sharp at all. Let's talk about the Packers' drive, the eighth drive of their of the game. This came in the second half. The game's already out of reach for the Bills, but the Packers are in a position where they can really put things away. You had the worst series of throws that I think you'll probably ever see from Aaron Rodgers. Second and three, they sort of run this deep dig route, deep in route for Jimmy Graham. The throw is so off, you can't really tell if it was going to to Devontae Adams or Jimmy Graham. Graham gets a hand on it, but it's nearly picked. Third down and three. Instead of just picking up the first down, looking for a receiver closer to the line of scrimmage, Rodgers takes a shot to the end zone uh, to Geronimo Allison, but really the pass was thrown so poorly that Allison really didn't have a shot. Uh, The ball didn't even land in bounds, and it wasn't the sort of situation where Rodgers was throwing to the sideline and trying to get Allison open. There was one of those earlier in the game that Allison dropped. This was not that sort of play. Allison never really had a shot. On fourth and three, trying to pick up the first down, Rodgers, for whatever reason, kind of forced the ball. It looked like he had Devontae Adams towards the the left side of the formation, pretty open. But he forced the ball to the right. It should have been picked off, and it should have been returned for a touchdown. Just not a great series of throws for Rodgers and kind of emblematic for the afternoon that he had. But still enough good stuff to make the Bills pay and to put the Packers in position to score 22 points. Aaron Jones, for instance, 65 yards on 11 carries, 17 yards on one catch. It's cliche, but every time he touches the ball, he is a threat. It's a cliche, but it's true. Every time he has the ball in his hands, it feels like something exciting is about to happen. And we saw a little bit of that on Sunday. Uh, We talk about explosive plays and tracking explosive plays. I think just eyeballing it, and it's going to depend. A couple of the rushing plays are, are come down to spots. But he had at least one explosive run and, and the explosive catch, but probably two. So that would bring him up to three on the season already. He's producing them at a rate that's at or near the top of the Packers offense already. The question for me with Aaron Jones, though, is how much do you want to give him the ball? He had 12 touches today. Mike McCarthy said he wanted to get him to 15 carries. That seems honestly, about like the upper limit of what you'd want to get him. The Packers gave him in the upper teens three or four weeks in a row last season. Then that was it pretty much for him for the rest of the year because he got banged up and then he came back and got banged up again. He's had a history of injuries based on what we saw last year. 
And at his size, you wonder how much you really want to be force-feeding him the ball. He's not a guy who should be getting the ball 25 times a game, exciting and tempting though that may be. And even closer to 20 seems like an awful lot. So maybe 12 to 15 is not the worst thing in the world. But if he's not getting the ball more than that, I feel like he still has to be on the field just to be something of a threat. Or used in such a way that even if he's not getting the ball... He can be affecting the defense. Uh, We have a play that we'll talk about later on that we might as well just talk about now. Just have a list of random observations. But uh, Ty Montgomery had a big catch on a wheel route out of the backfield. Um, Google this sometime. Just look at post-wheel combinations. It's one of the most interesting and effective, I think, routes in the NFL or in football. Uh, One player on the outside runs a post. Another player trails behind him and runs a wheel route. It's a great way to get usually a faster, smaller receiver isolated on the outside against a guy who is not as quick or as fast as he is. The Packers did a little variation of this with Ty Montgomery, where Devontae Adams was lined up on the outside on the left side of the formation, and Montgomery is in the backfield next to Aaron Rodgers. He runs a wheel route out of the backfield, and Devontae Adams runs a little comeback route, like five to eight, maybe as as deep as 10 yards. But the defense is focused on Adams catching the ball and doing af- doing something with it after it's in his hands that they kind of forget about Montgomery, who works against a linebacker or somebody not equipped to to cover him out of the backfield and down the sideline. It's the sort of thing that we haven't seen as often from the Packers as we've started to see from other teams around the league. But if they're do- doing it with Montgomery, it would work very, very well with, with Jones, you'd have to think. So maybe even if he's not in the getting the ball in a play like that, having him run routes like that would be a way that you can have him be his ex- effective, explosive, defense-altering self while not having to get beat up running between the tackles. It's, it's going to be a question that we'd probably deal with throughout the season. How much do you use Aaron Jones? And one that I'm not sure there's necessarily a great or perfect answer to. A couple more things on offense. Packers managed to stay out of third and long situations. And this is a big deal because third and seven plus or so is a drive killer uh, because they're difficult to convert once you start getting to those third and longs. And you've just got a limited slate of plays that you can call to get the yards that you need. But in the first half especially, the Packers just didn't have to deal with a third and long pretty much at all. There were two of them. On the very first drive, the Packers faced a third and 11, and they went with an inside handoff to Jamal Williams. Questionable, questionable play call, I think. And surprise, surprise, they did not pick up the first down. But on the last drive of the first half, when the Packers are trying to pick up a field goal late, they're facing a third and 10, and Aaron Rodgers scrambled for the first down and picked it up. They would go on to pick up a field goal. More or less, the Packers were able to stay out of that third and long situation. And when you do that, you keep yourself in a situation where you can call just about anything in your playbook on third down. That's hugely important, especially on a day when you're maybe not quite as sharp as you'd like to be on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, All of the rookie receivers were active today, but the only one who really got serious playing time was Marquez Valdez-Scantling. He was on the field and engaged with the offense. There was a a couple plays where the Packers ran a quasi sort of jet sweep motion with him, 
One time I thought for sure they were going to hand it off to him because the Bills offense or defense, excuse me, looked completely unprepared for it. They didn't hand it to him, but I bet that's something that will come up at some point this season. But more importantly, he also got his first real catch of the season. And it is abundantly clear he can get open against an NFL cornerback. He's just so, so fast. And just like in a flash, he was down the field for 38 yards. And he knew it too. He was feeling it. There was a cool little replay where he kind of winked towards the camera or towards the sideline. That was pretty cool to see. And it's exciting to see one at least of these rookie receivers getting involved. I would like to see a little bit more out of them, but if they're not, if you're getting good performances from Adams and Allison and Cobb and Jimmy Graham, there's just not a lot of opportunity for them to get out there. Uh, before we move on here, random thoughts and observations uh, from throughout the game. Um, these are not necessarily attached to offense or defense. We'll just kind of bring them up as we as we talk through them here. Teron Williams was back returning punts for the Packers. Randall Cobb, of course, out this week. He had been handling that duty. I thought we might see Jair Alexander back there. He did it a little bit in the preseason, but they went with Williams. Uh, very dependable. Made a couple questionable decisions when it seemed like there were some guys closing in on him and he chose to field the punt anyway, but it was interesting to see him back there and he did... He held on to the ball, which is the most important thing that you can do as a punt returner. Other than that, not much actual success. Five returns for 20 yards. Dan Fouts in the broadcast booth today. Ian Eagle. Um, as far as play-by-play announcers go, he is not my favorite, but it's just a, a real... From a broadcast perspective, it's just a taste thing. I just don't particularly like him. I don't have strong reasons for disliking him. He's just fine. Uh, he's not super interesting as a play-by-play guy, but he doesn't take away from the broadcast either. I wish you could say the same for Dan Fouts because sometimes I think he does make some good points, but other times not so great. And I think on balance, not so great. Um, there were a couple things that came up that just were odd factual inaccuracies. For one, um, a couple points throughout the game, uh, Fouts brought up, this issue of the offense not being allowed to snap the ball because the umpire was standing over it after a substitution. The rule there is that if the offense makes a substitution, they can't just run to the ball and snap it. They have to give the defense an opportunity to substitute. The Packers actually had a play blown dead because they didn't give the officials enough time to get back in position after they made a sub and then the Bills subbed. And the officials typically just stand over the ball and prevent you from snapping it until the defense is ready to go. For some reason, the Packers were able to snap the ball there and the officials just blew it dead. They had to run it back and do it again. Fouts didn't seem to understand what was going on there. If the Packers substituted, which Eagles said that they did, the Bills get a chance to match that substitution. So say you're in a a situation where you're in 11 personnel, one running back, one tight end, and suddenly you switch things up and you go to 12 personnel, you bring on another tight end. It's possible the defense would like to alter their personnel to counter your suddenly heavier personnel. They need to be given an opportunity to do that. That's not what happened. Or the, The Packers did not want to give them that opportunity and tried to snap it early. The refs didn't let it happen. Fouts didn't seem to be aware of that rule because he brought it up there that the officials were just slowing them down, apparently arbitrarily. And then the Bills tried something similar on the next drive and the officials stopped them again. Fouts again didn't seem to understand. That's a pretty basic thing and it's something that's come up a lot in Packers broadcast because the Packers love to catch opponents with 12 people on the field. 
a little bit of a different situation in those calls, but it's the same sort of principle. I, I don't know why Fouts didn't get that. And then there was kind of an interesting situation. Uh, late in the game, he talked about, he was, you know, kind of just killing time because the game was out of reach and they were waiting for the clock to run out. Um, but he talked about being at Lambeau Field in the 70s, in the early 70s as a player, and having alumni, alumni day and seeing all the players in their old uniforms and stuff like that and how it affected his his concentration and, and stuff like that. He didn't have a great game or something like that. Uh, but he, he said that he remembered or he was excited to see those guys because they were a team that he watched a lot growing up and he remembered the Packers winning five consecutive titles in the 60s. It's not true. That's not what happened. The Packers didn't win five titles in a row. They won five in seven years and three in a row at one point, but never five in a row. Uh, and if they had won five in a row, it would be a, an accomplishment in sports unequaled, at least in American sports. Five in a row is pretty pretty incredible. But just basic factual errors and things like that that bothered me. Um, Jimmy Graham gets his first touchdown with the Packers. Again, he had one taken away against the Vikings. Seems to be a bit of a common theme. Uh, but I thought it was interesting how the Packers set up Graham's touchdown with their formations. Um, the first two plays of that goal line, goal-to-go situation, uh, the Packers had quasi-running plays or, or power plays. They ended up running the ball on at least one of them. I don't have my notes in front of me, but they, they ran it on one and may have done a pass where Graham started out of the out of a tight formation on the other. But they set up a situation where Graham on third and goal was lined up tight to the left as a traditional inline tight end, and he kind of got a little pick from Geronimo Allison. And I think if they had been running the entire time with Graham split out wide or split out for one of those back shoulder throws or a fade or something like that, the Bills may have been more ready to defend it. But as it was, they were they didn't know what to expect. Um, and Graham ended up getting open on a, a in part because of the personnel that was on the field and where they were lined up and, and, and things like that. Just little things like that are what make the Packers offense so infuriating because sometimes they'll be super hyper aware of how their players are used in formations and with route combinations and things like that. And other times it, it seems like they're just throwing the ball out there and asking Aaron Rodgers to make a play. You would prefer to have it be the first way and always aware of, of matchups and, and formations and how to maximize a player just by where he is on the field. But it doesn't seem like they always are. It, it's frustrating, but you know, can't complain a whole lot with a 22 to nothing win. Finally, two things uh, that are completely unfootball related. Uh, Lucas Patrick was sporting a pretty sweet mustache on the sideline. There was a shot in the third quarter where you could just see him a little bit. He snuck into frame. You saw him number 62 wearing the mustache. Got to respect the game there. And then I don't know how you feel about the volume levels at Lambeau Field. Historically, not super great. Lambeau Field, not the loudest of stadia out there. Um, Gold package crowd, what's up? Um, But... The get loud Lambo stuff is almost a little patronizing sometimes. Uh, you would like to have Lambo Field be a little bit louder, and they try their best, the game presentation folks, whenever you're there, but it just comes across really cheesy. But today, it looked like they hit a new cheesy low. Um, <laughs> the phrase on the Jumbotron on one of the wide shots was get historically loud. I get it. They're going with the throwback sort of theme there, but throw the adverbs in there 
when you're trying to ask people to get loud at Lambeau Field. It, it just comes across as silly. Sure, it would be great if Lambeau Field was louder. And it did seem, honestly, it did seem pretty loud just watching the broadcast today, uh, louder than it's been in the past. But sometimes you just can't force it. It, it, it gets a little silly. This is all silly. Anyway, uh, throwbacks can be kind of silly. Um, football can be kind of silly. Life is kind of silly. Now this podcast is getting kind of silly. Oh, speaking of throwbacks, we on our poll, people showed that they were pretty pretty split on on the throwbacks. Had two separate conversations with throw, about throwbacks uh, with people today. The broadcast crew seemed to hate them. Um, one person said the Packers are playing ugly because they, they are dressed ugly. And another person, my wife, said that she liked the throwbacks today. So there is your split audience there. I personally would like to see a different throwback outfit used, but this one is not terrible either. I just think it was a little bit uncreative considering they did this one in early in Brett Favre's career. Yeah, can't have everything. So what happens next? Well, the Packers travel to Detroit. Uh, their first of three out of their next four games that are going to be on the road. The Lions are 1-3. and three. They lost today to the Cowboys on a last-second field goal. Not sure what to think of the Lions so far. They've got Matt Patricia, the former Patriots assistant, running the show there now, but I think the the Lions, as has kind of been their M.O. over the past decade or so, don't really know what they are. And, you know, that's probably forgivable, first early in the season. But then secondly, um, just, uh, you know, having a new coach. These things take time. Uh, Again, three of the Packers' next four are on the road. This is as good as any opportunity to get things a little bit tuned up um, before you head into some real tough road games after the bye. So let's start with Detroit, see how things go this week and uh just you know enjoy another Packers win they're above 500 for the first time in I don't know how do you count ties I think we did this on an earlier episode ties not great let's avoid the ties if we can going forward two wins for the Packers already this season they could be four and one by the bye four one and one by the bye uh let's let's hope they get there they'll have to win at Detroit to get to that point and uh we'll get started digging into that uh this week at thepowersweep.com thank you so much for Appreciate it. Uh, be sure to tell your sus- friends and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we appreciate your shares and your support and your listens and your downloads and all of those wonderful things. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you on Wednesday. Blue 58, hit, hit.